0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Brother Mark was saying it's a a beautiful thing that Christ took our place, that uh, God justified us uh, through His Son. There is no other way of salvation. You and I, as Brother Eric was sharing with us in Sunday school, could not do anything about the condition we were in. We were sinners, and there was a debt there we could not pay. And uh, then Christ stepped in, and I I mean, it's a beautiful thing. You can't, it's, if you ponder it very long, you will be blessed, and you'll be helped, and you'll be encouraged. And if you're here today lost, I want you to hear the gospel that you cannot, you're a sinner, and you cannot, you cannot change that. You cannot do enough good works. You're not made more holy because you're here today. You cannot attain righteousness with God. There's one way back to God, and it's through Christ Jesus, what He did at the cross. And I'm thankful for the wonderful gospel that we have this morning. It is truly better than you and I could fully comprehend the goodness of God and the wisdom of God that's revealed in the gospel. And I'm thankful for it this morning. And I pray that with that we have a desire to know him, a desire to seek him. Not, not just here today because it's Sunday and that's what we do, but that you have a genuine desire to grow closer to him, to know him better, to love him more, to be more devoted to him. That's, see, that's what he wants, is our hearts. Anybody can go through the motions, anybody can put on the church clothes and be here today, but what Christ wants is our hearts, our inner, the very most inner parts of who we are. That's what he wants from you and I, and I trust that we have a heart to seek him, to know him. I shared with them Wednesday, the group that was here, a genuine burden in my heart in praying so far is that you as a congregation, that me as a pastor would have a genuine hunger for truth, that you and I would long to know him, long to know his word, to live by his word and that he would use me to then satisfy that hunger, that I would open up his word and we would study it together and grow together with one another, and that the truth would be all that comes from this pulpit. And I pray that today the Lord would uh, answer that prayer. And uh, so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4, and I want to read the opening 10 verses. And as you find your place, I'd like to ask you to stand with me in honor and reference of the word of the Lord as we read this morning. <clears throat> the Bible says this in 1 Timothy 4, verse number 1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Father, we thank you for this day, and Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Father, I pray that you'd give us an attentiveness to the word of the Lord, and God, help us to come reverently before you, humbly before you, Lord, and understand that your word and you have authority over our lives, God, and we're to carry our lives in submission to you and to your will. And God, through this study, I pray that we would better know your will. And Lord, the Spirit of God would be at work in us to help us to carry it out and to put it to practical use in our lives. God, if there's somebody here today that's lost, Lord, I pray that they would hear the text that says, you are the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Lord, I'm thankful for that great hope today. Lord, I thank you for this service. God, I thank you for the truths that we've sung about this morning, how our sins are covered under the blood. And we have a great Redeemer. And God, I pray that you'd put it in our hearts to want to seek after you, God, to know you better, God, to love you more and to be more devoted to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church as we move forward, God, to bring glory to you, to be useful in your hand, to advance the kingdom of God, Lord, that souls might be brought into the family of God, that your saints that are here might begin to grow and mature and develop, God, even more so than they have up to this point. Father, help us be pleasing to you in all that we say and do. Lord, I pray that the worship that takes place here today would be in spirit and in truth and would be acceptable unto you. Father, I love you this morning. I know it's only because you first loved me, and I praise you and I thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. And thank you for standing this morning. If if you were asked the question, what makes a good minister or what makes a good pastor, what would you say? Is a good pastor someone who has the altars fill up every time they finish a message and give an invitation? Is that what makes a good pastor? Is a pastor defined by how many revival meetings he preaches throughout a year? And if you preach over half of the weeks out of the year in revival, then he must be a good pastor. He must be a good preacher. Is a good pastor marked by how many members make up the church he leads? Is that the correct way to define what makes A good pastor what is your idea of a good pastor more importantly though what would God say makes a good pastor because our answer should correlate or reflect or exactly be what God's answer is because you see the world might have its idea of a good pastor the world might say some of those things I just mentioned is what makes a good pastor as long as he has a church full of people and as long as the the altars are always full when he finishes preaching and as long as he preaches quite a few revival meetings a year then he must be a good pastor, but God may not say so. Our answer to that question needs to be reflective of God's response to that question, what makes a good pastor? Because you see, the world might look at a pastor and say, he's doing a job well done. He is doing a quality job. But God might not say the same thing. Or on the flip side of that, there may be a congregation of people that would look at their pastor and say, we we just feel like he's failing us. We feel like He's not doing what we want Him to do, but God would say He's doing what I've placed Him there to do. God is doing what He has been called to do. And certainly this morning, the idea of what makes a good pastor is prevalent to me. When I was reading these verses, the phrase in verse number 6 stuck with me. He says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now I want to be a good minister. God has called me to a to a humbling work. God has given me an opportunity to serve him and I want to be a good minister. If I'm going to I'm like most people if I'm going to do something I want to be good at it. Brenda I guess was mad at me not too long ago and she took me skiing. I got mad and quit and literally I went and sat in the lodge and while they finished skiing I was not good, and I don't plan on going back because I don't like doing stuff I'm not good at. (laughs) My thumbs are still hurt from where we went skiing. I don't like doing stuff if I'm not good at it. If I'm going to do something, I want to be good at it. And I want to be a good minister. For your sake, I already am falling in love with each of you and your families, and so for your sake, I want to be a good minister. But more than that, for the one that saved me and the one that called me, the one that I will answer to one day, I want to be a good minister. And that's exactly the phrase he used. If you do these things, you will be a good minister. So certainly my heart's in tune to the text, what makes a good minister. But also I want you to know this one, and you need to know what a good minister is. You need to be able to hold me biblically accountable to what a good pastor is. You need to be equipped with that tool set to know what makes a good pastor. If, if, if as we study through these texts and, and now or as the future comes about and you don't see these things in my life, then you have valid reason to raise concern about the, the job of your pastor. But on the flip side of that, if there's ever a time when you're maybe disgruntled with something I do or maybe something Pastor James does and you're not exactly, maybe you're not exactly a fan of it, well, we need to be able to go to a text and see is, is he just maybe doing something I don't agree with and... But yet he's still being true to what God has called him to do, what God has called me to do. We need to know what is a makes a biblical pastor. Certainly for me in my role, but you as well. This morning, you need to have biblical expectations of what a pastor is. That way, you're not let down when you should not be let down. In other words, if the budget doesn't seem to grow, if if members don't join at the rate we'd like to see them join, does that mean that I'm failing? We need to know what, how it is to, and what it is to make a fair evaluation of a pastor. But to do so, we have to look at God's definition. And so I want to equip you this morning to hold me biblically accountable. And I want to know this morning as a pastor, what makes me be able to be identified and labeled as good? What are the things that make a minister good in the sight of God well if you look in verses 1 through 6 for one thing is good doctrine good doctrine makes a minister be able to be described in our word of good unfortunately not everything you hear even and we'll just limit it to coming from behind a pulpit is not truth even from a professing preacher a professing pastor Just because they are speaking does not mean what they are saying is truth. People are out there who will deceive you, who will lead you astray. They will tell you a lie, and they will tell it to you as if it's the truth. They will tell you a lie and tell you if you don't follow it, then you are in error and you are doing wrong. All the while they are deceiving you and leading you down a false path. There are people out there who will tell you this is God's path, and in reality it is not His path. They are leading you actually astray from His path. So one thing you should always expect from me, from any pastor, is good, sound doctrine. You should expect to hear the truth from your pastor. I should be, expect myself and put it upon myself and be diligent to always feed you the truth, not my opinion about things, not my personal preferences about things, but to preach you the truth as God has revealed it in His Word. And how do we know? That, for one thing, a good minister is marked by by good doctrine. It's because, according to verse number 1, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaketh speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It's said in the latter times. And some people define the latter times as different things. Some people say it's from the time that Jesus got up out of the grave until He returns. That's the latter times. Some say it's more like when He ascended into heaven. That was the beginning of the latter times, and we're still in, we're it's still till He returns. Well, regardless, we're in the latter times, and Paul is writing this to Timothy at this point in time. So you can only imagine it's certainly not any better, and it's not going to get better in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. They're going to walk away. They're going to turn their back on true doctrine, on true on what God has revealed as the light. They're going to walk away from that. They're going to give heed, the Bible says, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Anything that goes contrary to God. Now, a lot of times we may not think of of false doctrine as this serious, but that's what it is. These seducing spirits are, that word means deceitful. It speaks of being an imposter. Meaning, again, they're they're going to present truth or present something as if it's truth. And they're going to make it sound convincing, but it's a lie. And how certain can we be that this is going to take place? Well, it says the Spirit speaketh expressly. The Spirit's clear. The Holy Spirit is clear that these times are coming where people are going to depart from the faith. They're going to give heed. They're going to give attention to. They're going to be given over to these lying, truth, these lying thought processes, these lying deceptive information. And then the scary thing is, the sad thing is, according to verse number two, they're going to teach these lies and hypocrisy. You might say, well, how can they do that? How can they they say something as truth when it's not truth, when their goal, their one goal is to deceive you and to deceive your family? How can they do that? It's because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It's like when you take something hot to cauterize something. That's what's happening to their conscience. They don't. They don't feel no remorse. There's no regret. There's no shame in what they're doing. So with that, this morning, you and I need to know the truth. It's important because there's people who's going to tell you things that's going to sound good, that's going to seem right, but it's a lie. It's a seducing spirit. It's a false doctrine. And you and I need to be on high alert to these things. You should always evaluate my ministry or anybody's ministry and determine the number one thing, are they true to the Word of God? Dads, as leader of your household, you need to be on high alert of these seducing spirits and these doctrines of devils, because they're around us, none of us are above this deceptive, these deceptive tactics. Young person, you need to be on high alert for your spiritual well-being, sake, because there's people out there who will lie to you, they will deceive you, and they will lead you down a wrong path. John MacArthur said it well. He said, the most defining word to describe the entire operation of Satan, his demons, is deception. It's his whole whole mentality against you and I. You're not immune from his method of attack, and neither am I. He would love to deceive you and your family as much as he would anyone. That's why a good minister must be marked by good doctrine. A good minister is one who fights against false doctrine and teaches people the truth as God has revealed it in the Bible. And my burden and my desire and my heart for you, for this church, is that I would always feed you the truth. I pray that God would only use me and only allow me in this pulpit to say what He has already said, to never lead you, to never lead your family astray. You'll notice that as I preached a couple times, I've already preached here. We just read a text and try to go through it line by line and verse by verse. Why do I do that? Because I want to give you the truth. I want to give you. I want you to be able to follow along with me, and I want you to be able to see that what I'm telling you is what God is saying. That I'm giving you the truth. That's why. I, that's why. That's my preaching style, if you want to call it that. Because. It, If you leave here today and you might say, his style is not my favorite. I wish he would walk around more. I wish he would stay behind the pulpit more. Or I wish he would quit yelling so loud. Or I wish he would slow down. Or whatever your critique might be of how I preach. I want you to be able to leave here today and say, but he told me the truth. I want you to be able to bring your family here on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night and say, and know within your heart He's going to tell me the truth. That's my burden. That's my desire. That you can come, you can bring your family, you can invite somebody to come with you and know that when they come they're going to hear the truth. That's not something you should have to worry about with your pastor, with your minister. You should know that you're going to get the truth. You may not be able to say that the altar's flood full every time I finish preaching. In the six years I've been preaching, I don't guess I could ever say I preached the message and the altar's just flooded when I finish. But does that mean, and you may not be able to say that ever happens here, but I want you to be able to say when you leave, he told me the truth. He told my family the truth. And that's what I hope you can always say. that I would always tell you the truth. I, feel, I, I want you to be able to leave if you say, I don't, I don't really like what he said. I don't, I don't really agree with that. But I want you, if, you, if you leave with that, having a, con, a conflict with something that has been preached, I hope you feel as if you're arguing with God because it's not something I've said, but it's something that the Lord has confronted your life with. That's, that's, that's true preaching, is when you hear the Word of God and it is true to what He has said. The Bible Knowledge Commentary puts the point precisely. One of the works of a good minister of Christ Jesus that He is a faithful conduit of the truth to other Christians. That God has spoken and God has ordained pastoring and that I kind of stand by His gracious calling as a just an instrument to proclaim the truth to you. But the Bible here in verses 3 and 4 gives us some insight as to the particular false doctrines that were running through in the churches and in the time when Paul was writing to Timothy. And so it's worth our time, worth our while this morning to address these false doctrines. What the the false doctrines they were dealing with were they were being forbidden to marry and commanded to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. These false teachers were commanding people not to get married and telling them they couldn't eat meat. Now if that's true then I would say that 95% of us are living in unrepentant sin. Most of you here are married. If you're not married, you probably have desire to get married. It's probably one of your main ambitions and goals and dreams of life. Lord willing, in about a month, unless something crazy happens, I'm going to get married. So your pastor's going to be in unrepentant sin, and I have no desire, no intentions of stopping that wedding. But does that mean me and Brianna is about to step up into sin? Does everybody here that's married, are you in sin because you're married? Absolutely not. But that was the false doctrine that was going through this, this time. Now marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now some of you are saying, preacher, you're naive. You have no idea. Well, keep your negative thoughts to yourself because I'm excited. God has, in marriage, has made a picture of the relationship between His Son and His bride. The love is supposed to embody. Now sin often wrecks it. Sin often destroys it, but marriage is a beautiful thing. God brings two lives together, lets them come together as one to share life with one another, to have a companion, to reflect the love of Christ in each other's lives. Biblically, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's the way God has given us to biblically have a physical relationship with someone, according to 1 Corinthians 7. Marriage is not something God forbids you and I from partaking in. So that's certainly a false doctrine. But, but just think about how good this probably sounded. Tell them not to eat meat and tell them they couldn't marry. Here's probably what it sounded like. If you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be close to God, then you won't get married and you'll not eat meat. Again, I told you it's going to sound good. So then the person who has a desire to know God, to love God, to serve God, they're thinking, well, I don't want to be half-hearted. I don't want to halfway serve God. So I'm not going to eat meat and I'm not going to get married. Well, there's somebody that just led them into a lie. That led them into a deceptive pathway. Because God never said you and I can't get married. God never said you and I can't eat meat. Again, most of you are probably not vegetarians. But that doesn't mean we're in sin if we eat meat and thank God for it. Or I should not be up here today. It's about 85% of my diet probably. And then he goes on to deal specifically with why eating meat is not a sin. Why eating meat is not forbidden by God. He said, God has created that meat to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, I knew somebody personally, and I still know them, who did not eat, and I don't know if they still do, this was a while back, they would not eat pork. I guess they took, you know, from the Old Testament, and they had dietary regulations against those things, and they wouldn't eat it. And again, that almost sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Like... They won't eat pork, and they give their reasoning, you know, because the Old Testament. So it almost seems like, well, maybe I'm not quite as good as them, because I'll, I'll eat barbecue in a second. But God never said we couldn't eat meat. Now, if they want to do that, and they have a biblical understanding that, of that, that does not attain their salvation, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with abstaining from that either. But we're not all in sin who will eat pork. Because why? God said He made it to be received, to, to be eaten. But he does make it precise that you're to receive it with thanksgiving. Because he says in verse 4, Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. Why? God don't expect you to abstain from any of those things as long as you receive it with thanksgiving. Now, most Christians I know say a blessing before they eat. And is that just religious, you know, religious... Actions that we go through. No, there's a biblical foundation for saying the blessing or giving thanks to God before you eat. You should. It's a way to worship God. It's a way to bring glory to God. It's a way to live out your life in submission to Him. Think think about that as the next time you sit down to eat, and even if you're just eating you a sandwich at lunchtime, but you stop to give God thanks for the food you're about to eat, then you just turn eating your little sandwich at lunch into a moment of worship and adoration and obedience to God. So next time you say the blessing, think. If you go to lunch today and you say the blessing, don't just say it out of. How, see how fast you can say it, so you can dive in. Think about why you do why you're doing that. Genuinely thanking God that you have food before you, that He has provided for you. And that little moment of lunch can become a moment of worship, a sacred moment. Of worship and adoration to God by saying your blessing and thinking about what you're doing. A lot of times we do say it just out of habit. You know, somebody say the blessing, and somebody says, God is great, God is good. Let us thank you for our food as fast as we can get through it. But if we'd stop and think, God, there ain't nothing wrong with that prayer, but I'm saying, think about what you're saying. With that genuine heart of thanksgiving to say, God, I have this food because you've given it to me to be received, to provide nourishment to my body. Because it's sanctified in verse 5. It's set apart by the word of God in prayer. These are the false doctrines that Timothy had to deal with, that Paul wanted to set straight. And he says then in verse 6, and I'm going to stop here for today. He says, if you put your, the brethren in remembrance of these things, if you'll, again, if you will correct these false doctrines, if you will give your people good doctrine, he says you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up or built up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Doctrine does matter. Doctrine is important. Now I promise you, as much as I pray that I would preach good doctrine to you, I pray that God would set my heart on fire and that I am passionate about the truth. That that I am excited about the truth and my prayers that when I study, that what I'm studying gets in my heart and God would help me to preach it into your heart. That I would preach with my heart on fire, as some people describe it as. But that's no good if I'm telling you stuff that's not true. Both of those things need to be in harmony, I believe, for an effective preaching ministry. So I, I promise you, as much as I pray to preach good doctrine, you know, some people, some people act as if they're bored with doctrine. You need good doctrine in your life. We must live by good doctrine. And that's what Paul is leading Timothy towards. He says, You'll be nourished up, you'll be built up, you'll be wise, you'll be educated too good doctrine, and the true words of faith, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, attaining means means to conform oneself to or to follow faithfully, saying, Timothy, you've already latched yourself on to good doctrine. He says, and if you'll continue to fight false doctrine, then you'll continue to be more faithfully molded to good, true doctrine. And I will say, and I guess the previews will continue to study this text Good doctrine marks a good minister, but godliness, as you'll see in verses 7 and 8, marks a good minister. You should expect your minister to be godly. You should expect your pastor to be a godly individual. And lastly, in verses 9 and 10, you'll see that there should be a faithfulness about a good minister. Somebody that's true, what God has called them to do, do not turn their back on the work. Those are things that mark a good minister. But those verses do... Are worth our attention, and so Lord willing, we'll look at those next week. But I appreciate your attention today. Appreciate you being here, and pray that you can leave here today and say, "He gave me the truth." That is my desire. That is my prayer. I'd ask you if you would to stand with me this this morning. Our musicians can come around and we'll give you an opportunity to respond to the message if God has dealt with your heart to do so. This week, I challenge you. You know, I, I'm not trying to you know, uh, persuade anybody to come now. But if you would this week, pray for me. Pray for me every week that I would bring the truth. Pray for Pastor James as he continues to minister to our young people and our entire congregation that he would always bring the truth. Your young people, you know what they need? When life hits them in the face, they're going to need the truth. They need truth. You need truth. You pray for us that we would always deliver truth truth. As brother Mark leads us in a song, if you need to come this morning, I challenge you and encourage you and urge you to do so. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.